Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just open our heart to you today for this, to receive this message. Lord, I pray that this message will come straight from your, from your mind. Lord, I pray that I will only yield to the things that you have called me to speak today. If there's something that I've written that shouldn't be spoken, that you'll help, uh, help me to pass by, and uh, I'll only speak by the Holy Spirit. And I pray that all of us here will have an open heart to receive what saying to us and uh, what the impact that you want to have on us as Christians today. Let it be and may it be everlasting. May not be just another sermon that we pass off and we walk out of the church and, and not feel changed or transformed, but may this sermon have an impact on our life in a total and complete way. In the name of Jesus, amen. This sermon is called Be Holy Because I Am Holy. And it's part of the Truth, Judgment and Eternity series. And I want to just quickly go into the, the two series that we, we do at the moment. This Truth, Judgment and Eternity series is a, a mutually compatible series to the Uncovering Religion series. And I preach that message every other week. And the Uncovering Religion series is to make us all aware of the deceptions which are in the world and seem to be growing by the day. There is so many deceptions out there, it is not funny. And it's growing by the day. It's getting worse and worse. And Christianity is getting harder to discern. It's the, the lines are in the sand are getting moved all over the joint. And we don't really know anymore, a lot of the time, are we hearing the true gospel? So that what I thought was, okay, well, if, if that's the case, let's find out what is not the true gospel. And then have a comparison to a checkpoint to what we believe. And as we go through, as we've been going through the, the different religions. We've gone through Islam, we've done Hinduism and Buddhism and Sikhism and, and so on. We've also done Christian science and Scientology and Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and Seventh-day Adventists. As we've done all those, because they're extreme religions, we're getting to understand our religion so much better. And I wouldn't call it a religion, our faith. Because religion is what man made up. Christianity is what God made up. And so the only way I could find myself strong in this is to read the Bible all the time. Every spare minute, I said, my daughter the other day said, Dad, we only, whenever you're not working, you're reading the Bible or praying or being silly with the kids or something. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> That's what the Uncovering Religion's for. And I think it's a very important series, especially in this modern day and age, that we should keep looking at these things. And it's, it's Joe Schimmel said, it's like when you get a really pristine diamond when a jeweller will show you the diamond, they'll show it with a black backdrop. And then the diamond will stand out in all its beauty. When you get Christianity set against the black backdrop of, of world religion, it shines. The luster is there. It, it glows. And we can see it so much better. In, and you can look at all its facets so much clearer. So as we go along in that, we'll get, we're going to learn and you're going to see how wonderful our faith is. How perfect our faith is. This is the thing I've noticed. All these other religions, they're imperfect, you can tell. But Christianity is perfect. 
And in this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, it's for our personal growth as Christians in the things of God to prepare us for judgment and for our eternal lives in heaven. And preparing congregations for judgment, I I believe, should be the main job of the pastor. You know, what sort of teacher would you be if you were a mathematics teacher? And you had a class for an entire year, and there's one exam at the end of the year, and that exam will determine whether you pass or fail. And the whole year, that teacher talks about everything but what's in the exam. Dodges it, dodges it, dodges it, dodges it all year long. Gets to the exam, the kids go in and they fail, the whole class. What sort of teacher would you consider that person? Incompetent. You would never want that teacher to teach another kid again. And so I thought, okay, if that's the case, if we've got an an eternal exam coming up, the judgment, the thrust of that should be preparation. Make sure they get through. Make sure everyone that you minister to passes at the judgment. And I beat my body and make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I don't want to be disqualified either. That's exactly why Paul said it. Because Paul preached judgment. It's coming, guys. That's why you find in so many epistles, he's, he's listing sins. Don't involve yourselves in these things. Don't. Stop doing it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Jesus God forgave you. There's a reason he would say those things. Because these Christians weren't doing that. Every epistle, nearly, I believe, has been written as a rebuke, a correction, and also to uncover false belief and set them straight. That's why if you read the scriptures all the time, especially the epistles, you will, you will know the word of God very, very clearly. And if you don't dodge the hard, the hard scriptures, and today we're not going to dodge the hard scriptures. The reason is, is because they're the ones that we have to actually abide by. How do we become better Christians? Simple answer. Be holy as the Lord is holy. We've got to be holy. If there is a word from God for the church of Jesus today, be holy because I am holy. If you were to ask a non-believer, I said this before, what they expect of a true Christian, they would expect Christians to be praying, reading the Bible, and they'd expect us to be holy. I'll tell you straight off the bat that I'm not a believer in the once saved, always saved theory that has swept through the modern church. I'll tell you straight away. And the reason why I don't believe it is because I have never found it in Scripture. It is not there. It's a seeker-sensitive way of telling everybody, you're going to be fine. Just come to church. Do your own thing. Do it, but believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, yeah. You know what? Satan believes in Jesus. Demons believe in Jesus. Actually, it was the demons that were always saying, he's the son of God. How many times did Jesus have to shut the mouths of the, the demoniacs? Because they would recognize who he was. They knew who Jesus was even before the Pharisees did. The demons did. They're not going to be saved. There's some incredible scriptures we're going to go through today. I am, however, a believer that if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and you live for him and do not turn from faith in him, walk in holiness and die praising and glorifying him, you will be saved. 
Paul said we're running a race of the faith, didn't he? Now, if we pull out of the race, even meters before the finish line, do we get the certificate that says you, per- you ran that race? If you run a whole marathon, you run the whole, there is it, 42 Ks? Right? Yeah, you run 42 K or you're 41 and a half Ks. And then you <coughs> hit the ground. You didn't finish it. They don't recognize you as a finisher of that race. We have to finish the race all the way. Once saved, always saved is not true. You must walk in holiness and live the Christian life out, passionately living for Jesus. This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name we drove out demons and performed many miracles. And then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Do you know what? These people prophesied in the name of Jesus. They drove out demons. They're walking in the ministry of miracles, deliverances. And they were discarded by Jesus on the day. Why? Because they don't know Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. Obviously, their prayer life, they didn't have a strong prayer life. They weren't reading the word of God. They weren't walking in holiness. They had secret, a secret life that no one knew about. They weren't living for Jesus. But Jesus says this, only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will be saved. Only he who does the will of my Father in heaven Isn't that important? I think that's important. I think that is the key to our salvation. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. So not everyone, I'll read it again, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only he will enter in. Is that a motivation? To do the will of the Father? <laughs> it changes the whole perspective on Christianity. It changes everything. Suddenly we're no longer just sort of wandering through life. And yeah, we're Christian. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Oh, don't Bible bash me today, man. I'm not interested. You know? We've got to walk in the will of God. We've got to walk in his will continuously. We've got to finish the race. We've got to go the whole way and never turn. Because we have a judgment coming up. We have an exam, a final exam, and we will all stand before God and have to give an account for the deeds done in the body. And that's why I'm preaching this today. Because we need to know this. I'm not saying you don't know, but we need it refreshed. We need refocus. We need to keep coming back to this and getting it right because it's extremely important. So what is the will of the Father for each of us? How do we live holy lives in him? Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us to be holy and blameless. So you were chosen for that. For you to believe in Jesus, you were chosen to be holy and blameless. Once we accept Jesus as Lord, we are called to holiness. And every step we take from that moment on should be to rid ourselves of everything which makes us unclean. That means all sin. That should be your occupation. Your job's not your occupation. That's just what you do to make money. Your occupation is to be rid of sin, 
to be rid of sin, to be clean of sin, to be washed, to come back to God every day and empty it, get it out at the foot of the cross and ask for forgiveness. Is this making sense? Yeah? Now, there's a video here. I'm not going to play it because if you think my message is hard, these guys are real hard. Have you heard of Leonard Ravenhill? Paul Washer? I like that name, Paul Washer, because he is. He's washing the church for those who will listen to him. And there's others in there as well. But I won't play it today. I might play it in another sermon. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 8 says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Make every effort to be holy. What I'm saying to you today, this is not what I made up. I'm only saying because the Bible says it. And I want to say what's in the Bible. And I'm being prompted by the Holy Spirit to do these searches and, and understand this stuff. I believe that it is important for us to understand what motivated most of the letters of the New Testament. As I said before, it was always out of correction. Every letter, Paul would hear that the Colossian church were going astray. They're getting into all forms of Gnosticism and they're getting into sexual immorality. So what did he do? He penned the letter. And he penned it with such passion because he confronted it with such passion. And each letter was had that same thrust, if you read about it. The reason why these churches went astray is because they allowed the world to get back in. You know, it only takes one hole in a ship to sink it, doesn't it? It doesn't have to be a big hole. It just has to be a hole. And it'll let enough water in eventually to sink the whole ship if we don't block it up. So when we read a scripture like, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We can read it away, you know, like some people will say, well, that does not fit with my personal theology that doesn't fit with what I think. That doesn't fit with what I know about the Bible. So I'll reject it. We all know people like that. Or we can say, hey, maybe it means what it says. And I need to correct my theology and make it more scriptural. Maybe I need to correct my theology. And, you know, I'm always correcting my theology. I think I said last week, I, I'm not preaching the same, exactly the same as what I was preaching a year ago. There's slight things that have changed. And I expect that it will continue for years to come, that God will keep correcting my, my theology. And I suppose the closer I get to God, the more pure that will become as well. The way my, I present the theology that I have, or that God's given me. Anyway, in relation to salvation through living holy lives, the, the Bible's cut and dry about that. It's cut and dry. I'll say it again. Christianity is not a faith for wimps. This is a tough call. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways of interpreting many are called and few are chosen. There's many ways of interpreting that. Many are called, as in to be the church, many are called to believe in Jesus and to worship him, but only few are chosen. Put up your hand if you want to be chosen. Put up your hand if you want to go to heaven. Who wants to miss out on heaven? 
There's no way I want to miss out on heaven. Now, if that means I have to swallow some pride and I have to actually humble myself, if that means that I have to deny the lusts of the flesh, if that means I have to live right and if I'm and double check myself and have use my wife to double check me and me to check my wife, if that is what I have to do, I will do it. You know, some people suffer from looking at pornography. If I never look at pornography again, and if that's what I have to do to inherit eternal life, I will do that. You know what? You know how we should see our sins? The things that we do that we know we shouldn't do, see them as poison. And when you go to do it, think, okay, would I drink poison right now and kill myself? Well, I'm about to do this sin. And if I commit it, it's like taking poison and killing myself eternally. And, and this is what the church is for. I, I really believe that. We're supposed to encourage each other. 1 Corinthians 1-2 says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. So Paul makes it very clear from the outset of the first letter to the Corinthians that they are called to be holy just as we are called to be holy. Colossians 1.22 says, But now he has been... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. If. The Bible uses if quite a bit. We sort of dodge if. <laughs> he wants to present you in heaven free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Jesus will strengthen our hearts so that we can endure and accomplish this life of pure devotion. That's what he does. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. He will strengthen your heart so that you can do it. He'll strengthen your hearts and enable you to walk in holiness. I think I said to the church a few months ago that I would want nothing more. The greatest honour I think I could receive from Jesus is for him to say, you're a holy man of God. Man, to hear Jesus say that, I'm a holy man of God. Man, I'm going to devote my life to this. I want to see that in me. I don't know about you guys, but I want to see it in me. I want to be holy. It's what the world expects of us. They expect holiness. Let's give it to them. Let's be holy as he is holy. 2 Timothy 2.19-22 says, it's a lot of words there. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. End. Full stop. In a large house... There are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Then it says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. So pursue them, chase after them, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
So we must cleanse away any ennoble purposes so that we will be an instrument for noble and holy purposes. And then and only then will we truly ready to be used by the master. Paul then adds that we should flee evil desires. If you f- to flee, if, if you flee a murderer, what do you do? You, you run in the opposite direction, flat out, don't you? You flee. That's how we've got to treat sin. That's how we've got to treat evil desires. We've got to flee from them. As far as the east is from the west, let it be that far behind us. Then Paul adds, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord. Along with those who call on the Lord. That is the church. So who are we supposed to pursue? The holy in church. We're supposed to pursue them. We're supposed to be looking for those who are holy. That's why I meet with pastors. I want to find the holy pastors. I'm finding them. And they're wonderful people. I love spending time. I look forward to them. I pursue them. I hassle them. Sending them emails. I want to meet with you again soon. And they are this guy again. All right, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's what I think they think. <laughs> I'm sure they're not. But there's been some tremendous blessings from pursuing those that are wanting to live the same way. And you know how many pastors I meet with and they say they just want to be holy? They just want to do the right thing by God? And they're struggling in, in that, not that they struggle with sin, it's just they struggle with congregations that don't have that passion. They're str- struggling with the people of God, trying to rouse them, and that, but they're trying to be careful how they rouse them because people flee truth. I don't know why that is, but people flee the truth. You know, Jesus said some hard truth in John 6. And in John verse 6, 66, I only remember it because of the number, says that they all left. I thought it was just too hard a teaching. What? Drink his blood? Eat his flesh? And rather than say, hey, can you explain that? They just take off. They just think that's gross. I'm not a cannibal. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 says, You were taught with regard to your form of way of life. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I think probably two things we should consider today to take home with you. One is to turn away from sin and resist it and walk in holiness. And how we do that is in this scripture. It says... Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. How do you make get your minds renewed? Through reading the word of God and through prayer. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans 12, 1-2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We are supposed to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't conform any longer. We've got to start checking things, checking what we do, considering a movie that we're about to hire or a TV show we're about to watch. Think about it beforehand. Does God 
who is in me by the Holy Spirit, does my Holy Spirit who's in me, does he want to sit down and watch this garbage right now? You've got to consider that. You're a temple of the living God. When we watch something that we're not supposed to watch and you know it, you know why? Because the Holy Spirit's saying, turn this off, turn this trash off, get out of here. And what do we do? We, oh, no, it's not too bad, it's all right. Squash it out. And then what? Holy Spirit just sort of gets grieved and leaves us. So we've got to say, okay, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I'm going to, wherever I go, the Holy Spirit has to do this thing with me. Therefore, I've got to keep myself in check, offer myself as a living sacrifice. And then it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. If you have a renewed mind, ask God, pray for a renewed mind through the word of God, through prayer. And you'll be able to test what his will is. You'll know it, his good, pleasing and perfect will. You'll know it because the Holy Spirit in you will testify. And you know what he whispers? I've discovered he whispers things. He just, he'll, he'll say something to you in, in a soft voice and we sort of call that our conscience, you know. And we'll know, no, that's, that, we shouldn't do that. There's a little thing. But a lot of the time, there's another voice that's a lot louder in you. And that's your desire that you really want to do it. And that's the flesh. Flesh is loud. Spirit's soft. So, but the more time you spend in prayer, the louder the spirit gets, the weaker the flesh gets. Also, read the book 1 John. If you want to know about how we're supposed to turn away from sin, read 1 John. That always blows my mind. I don't hear many ministers today preach on 1 John, especially some of the scriptures in the first chapter and the second chapter. I will one day soon. And also make notes as you read through the epistles just how many times the authors list sins to encourage churches not to commit. Just take a little note on that and list what they are that he's listing. And you'll find it's the same sins we struggle with every time. And he's saying, stop doing it. Stop getting involved in it. Now, I'm just going to read something from Ian Bounds because I believe there's a second way to become holy, which, and I think it's most profound, and it comes from probably one of the leading authorities on prayer in all of Christian literature. Edward Bounds is just an incredible uh, writer in relation to prayer. He leaves us an incredible legacy. He said this, The change from badness to goodness is not brought about by works of righteousness that we have done. It is brought about according to God's mercy, which saves us by washing in regeneration. Okay, that's true, because nothing we can do will get us into heaven. It's, we do not go to heaven because we work our way to heaven. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before God, but that is one half, that's one side of the coin, and we've got to know what the other side is. This marvellous change is brought, about, brought to pass through earnest, persistent, faithful prayer. Any alleged form of Christianity that does not create this change in the hearts of people is a delusion and a snare. One of the effects of prayer is to change the character and conduct of people. In countless instances, change has been brought about by prayer. By so doing, prayer has proved its divinity. Just as it is a function of prayer to affect this, so it is the prime work of the church to take hold of evil people and make them good. Just what I'm saying before. I believe the reason we are a church is to cause Christians to be holy, make evil people good. Its mission is to change human nature. 
It does so by changing character, influencing behaviour and revolutionising conduct. The church is presumed to be righteous and should be engaged in turning people to righteousness. Should be engaged in turning people to righteous living, holy living. That's what the church is for. And I believe all that is in preparation for the coming judgment. As Leonard Ravenhill said, stamp eternity on my eyeballs so that when, it's, when you open your eyes or even when your eyes are closed, you, you, all you see is eternity. I'm, I've got eternity coming. I've got judgment coming. I had just stamp judgment on my eyeballs. So when I wake up in the morning, I know that I'm going to be judged according to what I do today. So let's live holy today. And if you even have prompting reminders like a, an alarm that goes off every hour, and it says, be holy, or something, or judgment's coming, you know, oh, okay, better be holy again. The church is God's manufacturing plant on earth, and its primary duty is to create and nurture righteousness of character. This is its very first business. Primarily, its work is not to acquire members or amass numbers or bring in money or engage in deeds of charity or works of mercy. Its primary work is to produce righteousness of character and purity of the outward life. Everyone catching that? We're not a church for money. We're not a church for anything at this stage except purity of character, bringing that a level of holiness up in us. After that, acts of righteousness and, and good deeds will flow will flow but from genuine hearts. And we'll make genuine impacts on people when we meet, meet them in the community because they'll be meeting with a Christ-like character. And I think if you miss that part and you just get on with all the other business of church, you've really missed church. You know, some, some churches get so many ministries, they don't know what is going on. They're just like consumed with, oh, I've got appointments here, appointments there, business plan, um, you know, meetings to attend and and so on, and we miss what it's all about. Purity of character, get us through the judgment. Because I want to be in heaven with everyone that I minister to, who sits under us as pastors and sits in our church and becomes part of our church. I want to know that if, hey, if we've got 20 members or 30 members or 40 members, whatever God wants to give, I'm willing to receive. I'm not doing to become a mega church. As you can see, we're not mega right now. <laughs> but we could become mega in holiness, mega in spirit, couldn't we? Build the person first. Love the people. That's another quality. I want to put people first in this church. And the, their ministries first. Because every single person has a ministry in the body. And when they're ready to uh, express it, we want to be there to help them to do that. So bad living means bad praying. And in the end, no praying at all. Who's ever gone through a trot in your life where you've bad living... <laughs> Bad praying, no praying, and then the Bible gets put in the side cupboard, and then there's a patch, godless patch. I'm always thankful that God doesn't let me die in a car accident at that moment. I'm sure he will, he will have mercy, but the scriptures do say otherwise. So from here on, we've got to just be determined. Now, whether you're here in this church or not, just be determined to stay the course. Stay the course. Never, ever pull back from serving Jesus and living 
for him. Now, just the last page here is 2 Peter 3, 10 to 12. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. Everything that's in the world that entices us to sin is going to be destroyed by fire. And what kind of people ought we to be? Holy, blameless. So my encouragement to you today is to seek God with all your heart in prayer and to set your hearts on living holy and godly lives, devoting yourself to the studying and reading of the Word of God, the Bible. All Christians are called to this. From the moment you accepted Christ, you're a chosen people, as it says in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You're a holy people, a people belonging to God, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. That's not just for priests of the Catholic Church there. We're all priests. We're all priests of God. So when we go out into the community, you've got to think, I'm a priest. And you know what? If you had that title, if you had a priest badge there and you had a priest outfit on, wouldn't that make you change when you walk out among people? Wouldn't it? You'd walk out and you'd sort of think, okay, I've got to have a level of holiness about me now. I've got the garb on. I've got the name tag. But you know what? You don't need all that, but you have to have that mindset. You are a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood. That means royalty, according to in the kingdom. You are kingdom priests of God. So walk in that. Walk in it continuously. When you meet with someone, think, I am a priest. Don't necessarily introduce yourself as a priest, <laughs> but at least be a priest in your mind. Be holy, as he is holy. So I hope this sermon's encouraged you today just to just to re you know analyze that area of our Christianity, which is probably the key. That's the whole reason we are Christian. That's what we're called to. This is this is it. This is what the church is meant to be, in my opinion. And I've got scriptures to back it up. But I hope that's encouraged you just to sort of, you know, really press in and seek God for more of what he, what he can give you. But remember this, it's, it's the Holy Spirit who you've got, to, you've got to draw into yourself. You've got to draw close to the Holy Spirit. You've got to become more filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continuously filled. And if you think you're only ever filled with the Holy Spirit once and that's it, that's not true. Acts 4.31 says they came together and after, this was after Pentecost and after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was filled and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, a fresh infilling. I've read many biographies of men of God who've been filled frequently at different times, had what they called second Pentecost and third Pentecost experiences where God has come really close and empowered them fresh. Mm-hmm.